Welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. I'm your host, Ross Chevalier. This is episode number 108, and this time we're going to talk about the future. Hey folks, it's been a while. I've been struggling with the direction of content delivery. It used to be that podcasts had content different from what appeared as blogs or web articles, and producing different content in the context of a busy life where content creation is not the source of family revenue, uh, it's been challenging. I've also been in a rut from a photographic creative perspective for some time. Many of you have been there too, and we all get out of it. For the last several months, I've spent more time riding motorcycles and playing guitar than I have photographing. I've been a bit uninspired. But then, a dear friend asked a question on the Kelby One members community that I think makes for a good podcast slash article. This episode is for you, Mac. It would not exist without your impetus, love, and respect to you. Mac's query to the community was to create a conversation about what the cameras of tomorrow would be, whether the present market leaders would still be relevant, and what the impact of increased automation of the process of taking pictures would do within the context of making creative art. As expected, she received a wide range of considered responses going down a variety of tracks. Won't go into all of them here, but because she asked and also invited a more philosophical response, here we are. Let's think first about cameras. My oldest, still functional cameras are film-based. I have cameras that use 4x5 sheet film, 120 roll film, 220 roll film, 127 roll film, and of course 35mm roll film. They all still work, and every one of them can still capture light onto film, providing that that film is available and processable. None of the cameras are obsolete, but the consumption demand for them is very small. There still exists a market for them, and as an example, my friend photo educator Brian Weiss was showing huge enthusiasm for a camera he just got, a 1927 Voigtlander. These old cameras are still viable, even though many of the original manufacturers are long gone. When the 35mm camera debuted, it was seen as the death knell for sheet film and even for roll film. The cameras were lighter, faster, and easier to use. Is this starting to sound familiar? Interchangeable lenses provided for the ability to have cost-effective delivery of different angles of view without changing the camera itself. While the demand for sheet and even roll film diminished significantly, the rumors of their death were greatly exaggerated. When digital photography arrived on the scene, courtesy of Kodak, many determined that film was dead. Film demand is a minimal space now, and by choosing to deny the potential impact of digital, Kodaking oneself has become a verb, epitomized by the massive decline and fall of the Kodak empire itself. When smartphone cameras arrived, the detractors were many, mostly from the serious photography space. Yet the majority of pictures taken every day are taken with smartphone cameras. Avid photographers will tell you many truths about lens and sensor quality and deride the computational functions used in the production of the final image. Yet for all these real challenges, smartphone cameras continue to evolve and take market share. 
I'm not a user of a smartphone camera yet because they don't yet deliver what I want. But I'm a very small element of the potential audience. Whether smartphone cameras with all their automation and computational work done prior to image recording are the future, I cannot say. But I can say that the general buyer likes the solution as it exists today and will continue to go that route. Traditional makers have tried to create smaller devices that use similar sensors and similar physical sizes, and they've continually earned the badge of epic fail. This is not because these cameras are not phones, but because they are only cameras and do not deliver the long list of things that the buyer wants. Whether one believes that Facebook or Instagram actually contribute positively to the future of humanity is irrelevant. The buyers want to stream video to Facebook Live. And that's the fact. Does this mean that Canon and Nikon are not going to be leaders in the future? At the risk of sounding harsh, if they don't aggressively address their ongoing challenge with craniorectal inversion, they're not going to be the leaders tomorrow. Both companies for years treated mirrorless like a stupid child, and only very late in the game have embraced mirrorless at all. And this places them in a vicious game of catch-up with Olympus, Sony, Fujifilm, and Panasonic, companies whose mirrorless products today beat up the offerings from Canon and Nikon every single day after school. This doesn't mean that either Canon or Nikon are stupid. Their challenge is that they have an enormous install base and they want to retain it. It took time to learn that protecting the existing investments of their customers was going to impact their ability to leap ahead. None of the other companies have to deal with massive inventories in existing camera bags of lenses and gear. This makes it easy on the newer companies. It's freeing to them. And it's a noose about the neck who were leaders in the past. The reality is that we live in an increasingly disposable first world, and no company can serve two distinct masters. While DSLR photography is not dead and will last a long time, every maker is going to need to cut the cord with mirrors and get moving with mirrorless. Cutting the cord sounds harsh, and it is. But makers will have to stop investing in and building tech that's already been superseded, or they'll Kodak themselves. Just as the makers did not define what would be in use in the future before, it's the same as today. Current buyers have limited brand allegiance. Brand allegiance is entirely a human construct based mostly around the fear of loss. Certainly do support makers that have delivered products that served your demands, but don't limit your own creativity in order to be loyal to a brand that, in fact, carries very little about you. Doing so, if at all, is kind of dumb. Picture-taking is a huge number. The last compiled data from 2017 says 1.2 trillion pictures were taken in that year. That works out to an average of 3.28 billion pictures every day. That's a staggering number. It becomes considerably less staggering when one considers how many of those pictures are disposable within 10 minutes of being snapped. The fall-off increases when the relevancy window is extended out to 24 hours. Storage is, in fact, very cheap. And if you check your own smartphone, and you do use it to take pictures, you will likely find thousands of images that you're never going to look at again. I'm going to submit to you that picture-taking and the creative art of photography are two distinct entities. 
Comparing the two is like comparing elephants and seaweed. It's an irrational and spurious concept. If we agree that it's unlikely that the number of pictures snapped is going to go down, and we agree that the percentage of snappers who will become creative photographers is not going to increase significantly, and the data, not assumption, says that it's unlikely, we can move on to a discussion of the creative art of photography and not concern ourselves so much with numbers around picture taking. Photographers have also changed. When a shot on a roll of 36 exposure film had a hard cost, let's say about 55 cents per shot all in, everyone who snapped pictures or made photography, we agree, two distinctly different endeavors, were considerate of how often the shutter was squeezed. Just as snappers shoot without thought to volume or long-term viability, so have come the creative photographers. Storage is nearly free, so a shooting day may now result in hundreds of images captured as opposed to, say, 24 or 36 exposures. That can be construed as effective use of technology, or lazy and stupid, depending upon where you choose to stand. As I'm trying to work out of my rut, I've set a goal to myself to behave as if I am limited to a fixed number of shutter squeezes in a day. What I've learned from my own practice is that when I'm shooting my 4x5, my successful image ratio is much higher than when shooting digitally. That means I'm being sloppy, and that means I need to spend more time culling and editing with digital, and I'm finding that that's not a pleasant or positive use of my time. I'm not telling you what to do. You should, of course, do what works for you. But maybe lay off the shutter and think a little bit more about what you're trying to capture. This raises a question that comes up all the time. Does the camera actually matter? The answer, of course, is it depends. It's entirely dependent upon the desired outcome. If a decent snapshot is a desired outcome, frankly, the camera is irrelevant. In fact, the intense computation that goes into a smartphone picture means that your probability of getting an acceptable picture on the first squeeze is higher with a smartphone than with a more sophisticated camera, which offers you more options. This surfaces the needs very, very well of a large number of users, and it means that the future for camera stores themselves is in real danger, because those picture takers don't need camera stores. Many stores tried adding inventories of products to improve smartphone photography, and they all collected dust until they were blown out in clearance bins, because smartphone layouts change every year, the buyer doesn't care about those products, and those old products are suddenly useless to those who stay current on their smartphones. I'm going to submit that any camera store that is chasing the smartphone picture taker is lying to themselves and preparing themselves for their very own Kodak moment. However, if you really want to exercise quality control over each of your images, the camera and the sensor will have impact. There's no point talking about exposure, accuracy, or focus correctness anymore. That's a complete waste of time. Smartphones do everything that they need to do in these areas right now, and they do a stellar job at it. The only relevant distances are usable resolution and performance in low light. Given the crashing market for physical prints, even usable resolution is a little bit of a BS argument, and that leaves us with the consideration of low-light performance. This is inherently a technology problem. Anyone worrying about megapixel count is misled, either by vendor marketing or their own misunderstanding. 
megapixels don't matter. What the maker does with the data gathered by each pixel is, in fact, what does matter. Intensive computation conducted by smartphone camera makers is producing better results than ever. And there's no demand for backwards compatibility because, like it or not, smartphones are disposable commodities. The data stands that statement up. A buyer spending $1,000 on a smartphone is content to spend that money again to replace it within 12 to 18 months. You may say that you keep your phone for years. Well, this may be true for you. You're an outlier. A buyer spending $1,000 on a camera wants it, however, to last forever and will not consider replacing it for more than four years on average. Raise the price of the camera to $3,000 and that timeline stretches. So while the initial investment is near the same, the camera is seen as an asset to be preserved, while the smartphone is considered a commodity. One does not have to like this fact, yet it still remains a quantitative reality. So if the tech doesn't matter so much and the camera itself doesn't matter so much, what does this mean for photography? The answer that I propose is that it's the same as it ever was, to quote David Byrne, or plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose, as my mom used to say. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Brushes did not make the paintings of Van Gogh or Caravaggio. The camera did not make the images of Eisenstadt or Adams. Photographs are not made in the camera, they're made in the mind of the operator. From that perspective, whether you look at the work of Paul Strand or Joe McNally, you see the mind of the artist, not the tools. It is true that many creative photographers obsess about the camera, make, model, brand, the lens, the associated gear, the image settings, and other completely irrelevant settings and choices. It's unfortunate because they really don't matter. What the truly creative photographer sees and creates is all that matters, and how he or she creates that vision is what creates uniqueness and diversity. So-called AI is not artificial intelligence at all. It's marketing bullshit bingo for computer algorithms. Some may want real artificial intelligence, but I'm going to side with the brilliant and sadly past Dr. Stephen Hawking. He believed that real artificial intelligence would not be governed by Asimov's three laws, and would quickly conclude that humans are the biggest issue facing existence, and the management and eradication of them would follow in relatively short order. You probably don't actually want AI, but don't worry, because none of what's being marketed as AI is AI at all. Thank goodness for that. What the so-called AI is, is a series of well-structured and complex algorithms that result in consistent approaches to a problem with varying initial states. If one were a cynical sort, and I have been marked as such a creature, one would call these presets. And I do. A preset, by design, applies someone else's vision on how things should look on your own creativity. I call for a pox on presets, and a kick in the ass to every user who is willing to subjugate their own mind to the uninformed opinion of someone else. There's a slang for this, and that word is sheeple. Individuals make decisions based on their own minds. Sheeple are stupid and lazy. Mac asked if creatives would all succumb to stupid and lazy. The answer is actually quite simple. To be a true creative is not to suborn one's own judgment. 
to apply a preset and accept it as final is not one's judgment. That's stupid and lazy and has no association with being a creative. It's paint by numbers. Viability to paint by numbers, but it ain't art. In the aspect of being a visual creative, you actually do have free will. You can choose to be your own artist and make your own decisions. If you do, you will only care about your thoughts and will not be unduly influenced by others. You will likely also realize that seeking acceptance from others for your work is a knife that you bring to your own throat. You'll also realize that spending time worrying about Instagram or Facebook likes, or any other social media for that matter, because social media devolves the lowest expectation, always, is a waste of your time. How wonderful for you at that point where you no longer waste your precious life on crap that's irrelevant. Now, you can always choose to just snap pictures, to slap on presets or AI or whatever it's called that week. You can post everything you shoot to social media. You can gather thousands of likes and friendships with people that you'll never know. And you might be perfectly happy with that. That's your choice. But there's no creativity or artistry in that choice. Do you have an idea for an article, tutorial, video, or podcast? Do you have an imaging question unrelated to this article or podcast? Send me an email directly at ross at thephotovideoguide.ca or post in the comments. When you email your questions on any imaging topic, I'll try to respond within a day. If you shop with B&H Photo Video, please consider doing so through the link on thephotovideoguide.ca as this helps support my efforts and has no negative impact whatsoever on your shopping experience. If you find the podcast, the videos, or articles of value, please consider clicking the donation tab in the sidebar of the website and buy me a coffee. Your donation does go to help me keep things going. I'm Ross Chevalier. Thanks for reading, watching, and listening. And until next time, peace.